what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Glenn, Pat, it's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. They have new sponsors. But we've also got some remaining ones as of well course. that we've got to bless them. So it turns out we're actually behind because people jumped into our Patreon and sent us much money and we didn't realise. Until they said, oh, what's happening? Yeah. Hey, where's our ads? Yeah. Here it is. We're doing it. You know where you should get dog training equipment in North America now? Who? Mojo Dog Co. Mojo Dog Co. Yeah, mojodogco.com mm. is a website. There's a real store. It's in Chicago. Yep. But it's a website you can totally go to and they pretty much sell everything. They've got meals. They've got training gear. They've got apparel. There's food. There's dog beds. Like it's a legit store. I've and been you've there. been there. I've you? been there, yeah. Yeah, I, you've I, witnessed I, it firsthand. You've I, um, smelt the odors. You've tasted the food. You've run on the mills. I committed theft. I stole a tub. <laughs> I think I was allowed to take it. Too late now. I've got it. I, yep. I, I just trained with it today. So basically, he's paying us Patreon money for you to steal his toys. Yeah, it's okay. a it's a great Klein tug. It's fantastic. A Klein tug. Yeah. Oh, you know who else sells a Klein tug? Uh, who? The Buffhead. The OG Buffhead. Really? Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. He, he, in fact, he does. I got from the Buffhead a Klein flirt pole which all the dogs favour over all the other ones. Really? Yes. They you like shouldn't that. allow toy preferences, Len. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. They do. They choose what they want. We have two places that you could get dog training equipment. Yes. MojoDogCode.com. Yeah, in North America. Yeah. And Einzawiener.Buffed. Yep. You know what's a really cool product? The Rowdy Hound Dog Kennel. It's the kennel that attaches, like it's a crate that attaches to your motorcycle. Yeah. So you can take your dog anywhere that you're traveling if you own a motorcycle and yep. you want to take your dog with you. If safely, I owned a motorcycle, safely, if safely. I owned a motorcycle or a dog that wanted to ride one, yep. I would 100% get one. I own a motorcycle. You should get one. I should get one. You should get one. I can see you a little Frenchie hanging yep. off the back of your motorbike. Mm. Yeah, I think that Mando would probably cause me to come off my bike. He yeah. would probably rock around like crazy on yeah. that thing. But yeah, a little, little dog like what George Kittridge does, mm-hmm. who's a wonderful bloke and a dear friend of ours. Sponsor of the show. Sponsor of the show. And he takes his little blue healer, which mm-hmm. is an Australian dog. Mm-hmm. And George has been out here in Australia. He knows all about Australia. He mm-hmm. stayed in Australia. He's done it all. Mm-hmm. But he actually takes his little blue healer and he rides her all around the state and he teaches other people how to do it as well with their dogs. So you know, not only does he sell the product, but he trains people on how to use it as well. That's great. It is. You know, he should get everybody to do a big road trip up to Canada. Yeah. You know what they could do in Canada? What's that? Go to Dancroft. Ah, oh, Dan Croft. Geez, they could watch a puppy class there, couldn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ooh. And they're doing seminars as well. Really? Yeah, they've got seminars, they've got teaching, they've got education. But as I spoke to Daniel, who runs Dan Croft, mm-hmm. he was telling me all about their amazing puppy classes and they do some kick-ass social media. Yeah, they do. They've got some pretty extreme type of breeds over there that they've got them all under perfect control, like all these American Staffies, they've got all these bull breeds that people complain about, whinge about and say they can't be trained. And mm-hmm. Dan Croft has them doing not only 
beautiful stays, but they also have them on balls. Mm. So they have the dog, Incredible. you know, like inside a tyre and the dog's doing beautiful drop stays while they're at peace and at harmony and somebody's walking around, all the owners are there with the dogs. They're having a great time. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, I bet those dogs are well-conditioned and healthy. Yep. Yeah. How would they do that? Probably the best way is to get yourself some canineceuticals. Have you been using it? I have actually. No shit, like jokes aside, Remy was – circling the drain he was in bad shape and yeah. i said to narelle hey i want to try and get him back in condition mm. see how much longer i can get from him because like the mind is willing but the body is weak yep and so she hooked me up with all the right things and he's a million times better in fact he's actually better than he has been in you know probably two years and you did a really cool social media content for narelle the other day which he really appreciated i make sweet reels bro you do yep. you are pretty good with your reels Again, all jokes aside, I'm not just saying this because Narelle's my wife. I make this very clear, but she's, what? she's actually a genius with that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. When other people are sort of relaxing and kicking back, I know people are busy and they've got things to do, but Narelle reads white papers. She's doing everything. She's always looking how she can improve the standards in a dog's life. Like She actually amazes me. She's mm. very, very industrious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mojo Dog Co. Yep. Eins a wiener. Eins a wiener. Mm-hmm. Rowdy Hound. Rowdy Hound. Dan, Dan Croft. Canonceuticals. Yep. yep. Thank you all very, very much. You guys sponsor the show. If you want to support the show, support them. Yeah, They're the place to get the gear. Yeah. And if you get into Patreon and you tick that box, just know that we don't check that very often. So yeah, so you've got to tell you us. Gotta, you've got you, you you to shoot us a message. Yeah, it's fine for you to let us know. We really appreciate you. We started off our shows talking about some of our new attributes, things that we've got. Yeah. And we would never have got that without Patreon support. It's That's Patreon right. that pays our bills. All right. Enjoy the show. And our sponsors. Enjoy the sponsors. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. First one for 2023. It is. We're back. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How was your New Year's? It was great. Rip wanted to stay up until midnight. Mm-hmm. I agreed reluctantly. Yep. Jane found us both asleep on the couch before 10 p.m. <laughs> 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 this is perfect night. No such luck in this household. Narelle gets to watch the children's fireworks and then elects to go to bed. Uh-huh. Same thing year in, year out for me, minding 250 dogs mm-hmm. who are either sleeping well or petrified through fireworks, which was really disappointing this year because the neighbours two doors over decided they were going to rip off 20 minutes worth of pretty horrendous fireworks. Oh, really? That were arcing over and exploding over the kennels. Yeah, it was a fucking shit show, to be honest. But then as an act of God, God gave us rain and it rained their fucking party out. And I thought, you dirty rats, you'd fucking deserve it. (laughs) I'm not one of those people who likes to ruin people's parties. It's an area where I can hear Christmas parties and New Year's parties going off with a bang. There's some pretty significant big houses around our area. So, Mm. you know, they like to bring all the rallies and family on and you can hear the music thumping way into the night sometimes. That's not a problem. That's fine. But when you're throwing fireworks up, it's not only the act of doing the fireworks over the pets, but it's also the fact that we're a rural area. Yeah, it's it's, fire danger. And it's a fire. It's the middle of summer. It's dangerous. You know, like that sort of shit is really thoughtless that people would do something like that. Mm. So anyway, act of God. He sent down rain. It was about 12, 24. I know because I was standing outside tisking and tutting. And 
<laughs> wondering. Stabbing your foot. Yeah, indi- like literally. Intermittently. It was after midnight. You can hear the Sydney fireworks from here. Like you can hear, yeah, the, right, you okay. can hear the percussion. And sometimes if it's big enough, you can feel it coming through the air. I can hear at 9 o'clock and I can hear at 12 o'clock when yep. Sydney fireworks are getting ripped off. That's not so bad because we've got, and we upgraded it all, we put the Sonos systems in the all of our kennels. So mm-hmm. all the ones that we have around Australia have got the Sonos system. So when I go there or I'm on location, if I want to change the sound, change the volume, put classical music on for the dogs or put stuff music on, I can do so from the touch of my phone. It's so mm-hmm. good. The app is brilliant. And yeah, I can yeah. change the volumes, adjust it accordingly. So I can have cats on a softer volume and dogs on a louder volume. It's great. I love, 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 love it. However, it's not going to compete with a firework that goes zzz, bang straight yeah, yeah. over the top of where we are. And yeah, we had to endure that. So fuck you for doing that to us. That was really disappointing. However, I got the dogs calmed down. Most of them were pretty good. We've really got it down to a pretty good fine art of not taking in any dogs that are highly aggressive, non-social, spooked on serious medications or anything like that over the school holidays. Mm -hmm. So we just don't have dogs that aren't well adjusted inside the kennels. What we really want is generalized pets, cats and dogs Mm -hmm. that we take on. So there was a couple of dogs. They came in with their own tranquilizing medication from their vet. We never tranquilize dogs. It's illegal and we wouldn't want to do it anyway. It's too dangerous. Yeah. But if the vets have prescribes it, it's part of their veterinary package. We medicate them before an event, thunderstorms. So if we know a thunderstorm's rolling in or I know one's coming in, I can go down to the kennels and medicate their pet for them mm-hmm. or fireworks. So Stafford, before they left, they medicated all the pets. Those pets, they looked like they'd been smoking a joint. <laughs> they were just lying on their bed looking at me going, oh, this is terrible, dude. Yeah, yeah. And, we're a few other dogs. There are a couple of strung out German shepherds that were a bit pissy about the fireworks. But good thing is we went through, settled them down. It was good. Long Brought st- in the new year with a bang. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We've got a topic. Yeah, we have. Let's get right into it. What we want to talk about is a little bit about social media. We've done a lot of episodes on social media, but I think that it's interesting for us to talk about because it is actually how a lot of dog trainers are staying in touch with each other. It's how our community functions. I think especially over COVID, that became even more so the case where there were less in-person events or no in-person events for a while. Social media bonds were formed, clicks were made, groups were established, all that kind of thing. And, And they were already there, but certainly got stronger. And those things haven't necessarily been dismantled. Mm. A lot of people change their social media structure, the things that they do, the way that they do online training versus in-person training. And even though the in-person training has totally come back in pretty much most of the world, and there's you know next to no COVID restrictions in most of the world at the moment, a lot of people have maintained their online training presence because it's another revenue stream. It's enjoyable in many cases, opens up opportunities, takes you to different parts of the world, makes your local business an international business, that kind of stuff, Mm. right? So social media is a really important part of our industry. It is. Gets used all the time and it gets used, I don't want to say rightly and wrongly, but it gets used differently by different people and for different reasons. And I wanted to sort of touch on- Why don't you want to say rightly or wrongly? Well, who are we to say what is right and wrong? Without knowing someone's goals of what they're trying to achieve, how could we really understand their strategy? Right. So you're talking about our industry. That's what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say there are some lines that people cross Mm -hmm. that I would say are definitely fringing on right and wrong, like 
child pornography and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I that mean, sort of shit is fucking yeah, yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. And fuck those guys. But if we're just talking about dog training, yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. This is what I sort of want to unpack a little bit is the idea of when controversy can become currency. One of the things that you know, we said last week on the show is that I just spent the better part of last year working within the social media space and doing that professionally, like making content for other people and really coming to understand how the algorithms work and like what is content that performs and why does it perform in a certain way. There's all the basic obvious ones, right? And then there's actually some very interesting, peculiar things that can happen, especially with YouTube videos. You can get picked up by AI now. That's one of the really super interesting things. A couple of the podcasts that I was arranging for other people, you get these peculiar, like on YouTube, you get these very strange spikes in views. Like you might have a show that normally would have, say, 1,200 views in the first week, mm. and then you get one that suddenly has 10,000 views. Why? And it's not a particularly good episode compared to nothing uh, controversial or outrageous happened. And that's what I want to sort of tear apart coming up is why controversial stuff leads to more views, leads to more metrics and that sort of thing. But you might get an episode with just very strange analytics. One of the interesting things about YouTube compared to any other platform is the intense and like incredible analytics that it provides. Mm. You, you can see not just how many people watch, but for how long and what was their watch session like, where did they skip all that kind of stuff. And a couple of these podcasts that I saw had 10,000 views when normally they would have 1,200. And when you look at the analytics, they got sort of 10 seconds worth of views. And then it turns out that what happened was an AI that has a huge email list put that podcast, a link to that podcast into an email blast. Oh, right. Yeah. And so it wasn't a conscious decision of a person. It was someone said to an AI, write an email about a particular topic and the AI then scans the internet, you know, write a blog post about it. And within the blog post, it put a link to a podcast that it determined via the tags and the headline and whatever was relevant to the topic. And then that gets blasted to an email list of a, you know, a, a huge company or whatever with like a million people on the email list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that 10,000 people click that. But because it probably didn't fit very well or it was a strange post for the AI, they bounce off immediately. They don't watch the podcast. Right. So you get these weird analytical spikes. And this is the sort of thing that I used to sit at my desk with my glasses on staring at the screen going like, what the fuck happened here? Mm. Like, how did this happen? And try to backtrack that and figure out when you see that, you go, wow, look at that. 10,000 views must be a good episode. And then you go in the analytics and like, oh, you know, 9,000 of those people watched it for four seconds. <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's not good. Yep. Why did that happen? Right. And trying to figure that out. So I've come to understand it a little bit. It's going to come to no surprise. This certainly didn't take working within the industry for any period of time to understand is that controversy is the currency of social media. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Anything that brings opinions, good, bad, or otherwise brings likes, views, shares, and the algorithm enjoys that. And I think one of the things that's very interesting about social media algorithms is they all work in slightly different ways. Some are sort of network-based and some are more individual-based. Just recently, I won't lie, I was doing a poo and I was looking at Instagram. <laughs> As you do, that's my main Instagram time. Um, and uh, a reel came up of someone 
it was on a slip and slide, right? This guy was on a slip and slide and he took a couple of steps on it and falls over and is clearly out, like yep. unconscious. And he's just like lifeless body slides down the slip and slide. Very funny. I'm sure that he was okay. I hope he was okay. I shared it to Jane, all right? Like I just thought, oh, how funny is this? And then for the next 24 hours, my feed is just 100% people hurting themselves. Yep. That's all it shows me because the algorithm goes, oh, you like that so much you showed it to your friend. Yep. <laughs> right, here you go. Have nothing but that, right? It was actually had to make conscious decisions to change what the algorithm would show me because it just, of course, I'm watching videos of people hurting themselves, but I don't want that in my feed, mm. but I can't help but watch it. Right. So it's very easy for you to accidentally curate your feed in a very peculiar direction by giving attention to something that holds your attention because it is entertaining, but it's not what I want in my Instagram feed. Right. Yeah. I totally understand that. I got one a while ago. I showed you, I think, as well. I got one on cosplay. And I thought some of these people are unbelievable how creative they are. Yeah. That they can go from what they look like in normal everyday life and completely transform themselves through makeup and eye contact lenses and just mm -hmm. the gear that they make themselves. Like it's just incredible. Now I'm getting 18 year old Japanese girls dancing around the knickerbockers. Yeah. It shows you what you pay attention to. And you then have to kind of train that a little bit and be like, yeah, yeah. I like people falling over like one in a hundred videos. Show me one of those. And you got to swipe fast off those. Just on that, I was speaking to Carnelian about this a while ago when we were at training here at PSA. Several people have noticed this, and I'm curious for your thoughts on it as well. Instagram is getting to the point where it's almost considered pornography, some of the things that I've seen on there. Mm. Like some of the things that people have shared to me, reels and so forth, I've thought, I'm not a prude. I've never been a prude. I'm actually a very open-minded person. But some of them I'm thinking, what if a young child was looking at this and mm. could easily access it? It's really quite profound mm. what is being displayed on Instagram. Mm. When Mark Zuckerberg makes a big point about if you talk about vaccinations or anything like that, like you literally put you in Facebook jail yeah, and yeah. yet people are allowed to show. Yeah. There, um, there's an interesting answer to that. Veiled well. genitalia on Instagram. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting answer to that as well. It kind of takes us off topic, but it's definitely worth talking about is that's an algorithm issue. So you imagine that someone's checking these posts. No one's checking it to actually get a human being to review a oh, post. It's millions and millions and millions. Yeah. Of but it, like if you're, if someone flags your content and says, Hey, I find this offensive or whatever, or if the algorithm decides that's bad, you're getting a strike yep. to actually have a human being look at that and make a human decision and sort of take into context what they're seeing and make a, a real decision on that. The chances of you and I, like the average normal person getting that for their account is next to zero. How because they of, not though? It's actually becoming prolific. But here's the thing. The AI within Instagram has been trained in how to identify things that are not allowed on there. But also people have figured out what the parameters of that algorithm are. Take, for example, you put up a nude photo, it will look for you a nipple. That's what it's trained to find because that's what's not allowed to be shown. Even the way that you post these sorts of things. Now, there's a whole huge industry of people who are doing OnlyFans, right? And they need to work their marketing funnel from the top down. Now, getting you into paying their $20 a month or whatever to see them do whatever they do, 
that's the end point. Right. But okay, they have to sense. bring you into the funnel in one way or another and they need to market to you and they need to bring in new customers. Yep. That needs to happen at the widest point in the funnel and that's you scrolling your Reels feed or your TikTok or whatever it is that you're looking at. And then like, oh, that's interesting to me. You watch it a couple of times, it shows you more of that same sort of thing, the same sort of person. You click on the link, down the rabbit hole you go. Fair enough. Makes sense. People- have gotten better now and there's courses you can do on this. You can learn how to do this about what are the parameters of the algorithm. So like how far can you push the content that you're going to show without getting a strike? Mm. And how can you say the things that you want to say? Like what are the replacement words? Say if you have a controversial topic that you want to discuss, this this certainly became evident when vaccines was the thing. You can't say that, right? Say and so, Yeah. Well, so that then there became- Language around it. Yeah. Mm. Like colloquialisms for it. But then eventually that gets trained into the AI to understand that when they say this, they mean something else. And that has to change over time, right? And what people do is they tend to start showing- a symbol that they'll show and say a certain word and then you make the pairing and go, oh, by that they mean this. And then there's two weeks of that that happens online and then you have been trained to understand when somebody like does the two fingers, thumb goes through it, they're meaning vaccination. Yep. And now they don't have to say that word anymore. They can give that symbol. But that only lasts a couple months before eventually it gets up the chain. A human being goes, oh, that's what's happening here. They reprogram the machine to understand it. And now everything has to change again. Amazing. Right. But there's courses you do on this. Like there's training to understand how that mm. kind of thing works. All of that, if anybody's still listening, because we're still a dog show, we're not talking just about porn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that the algorithm's of all the social media contents, despite the fact that they can be trained in different ways and they work in different ways, have only one end goal in mind. There is only one thing that they want and that is your attention. Yep. They want you to keep that app open as long as possible. And you can prove this by you type up something that you have no interest in or find it by accident. Something comes up on your feed that you're really not that interested in, right? If you type it, then you're going to train the algorithm that you like it. But have something come up and put your phone down and just leave it for 30 odd seconds. Don't interact with your phone at all. Don't look at it, don't whatever. Then you're going to start seeing a lot more of that kind of content because of the linger, the time, the time on it. You don't have to interact with it at all. You don't have to do anything with it other than have it open because likes, shares, comments, all those sorts of things are only to increase the amount of time that that person's content is on your screen. You don't really need to interact with the content beyond looking at it for longer than it would be at a glance for the the social media algorithms to go, okay, that's good content. That mm. kept you engaged for a period of time. Mr. Beast is probably one of the most successful YouTubers ever. Yep. Hundreds of millions of followers, has now hit the Spanish and other markets, like dubbed all his own videos to be, he's one of the biggest yeah. social yeah. media people in the mm. world. And, you know, when you talk to social media coaches and that sort of stuff, they always talk about how like, share, follow. And we all say that. We say it at the end of this show, like, share, follow, all that kind of stuff, right? Mr. B says that's all, doesn't matter for shit, right? And he's the leading he's authority. The so far. Mm. He says, I can turn the comments off. I can disallow the liking on my videos. It doesn't matter. The only metric that matters on YouTube is click-through rate and watch time. Yep. I have to make a thumbnail and a title that makes you want to click it. And if you watch more than 50% of my video, then the algorithm decides it's a fantastic video and shows it to other people. And mm. it doesn't matter whether you comment. It doesn't matter whether you do shit to it. It doesn't matter at all. What does matter is the time that you engage with it. Mm. Now, the reason that commenting and liking and all that kind of thing 
is indicative to the algorithm that anything is worth looking at is because of the extra time it takes you to do that. Now, imagine there's a fight on one of your posts, right? Now, a reel in particular is one of the most insidious of places to start a fight. If you can post something controversial on a reel, say it's like a seven second reel, and you can get a fight going in the comments between a bunch of people, a, a warring factions in whatever it is that you do, while they're reading the comments of their enemies and commenting themselves, the reel is playing in the background, mm. right? And it's over and over and over playing in the background. And so the AI within the algorithm goes, fuck, that's good content. And there's this idea that social media is insidious in that, like, and it certainly can be. We could talk about the TikTok algorithm, the way it works, and it's much more insidious. But there's this idea that it wants to push controversy. It doesn't at all. It hasn't understand what that is. It just wants your attention. Right. It just wants you to be looking. And as human beings, we engage with things that piss us off, right? Like we engage with the things that bring controversy. We do that. So it's one of those chicken or the egg things Mm. in that people often accuse social media of showing us offensive things because it brings on the watch time that it, it seeks so badly. But it does that because we want it. That makes like, sense. Like it, it's projecting what you have spent yeah. more time looking at. Yeah. I must have said this at least once on this podcast series about the movie Dangerous Creatures from the Monty Python crew. Mm-hmm. That for me was a real insight before all of this algorithm collection and data started to make sense. Is that the follow-up to A Fish Called Wanda? Is that the- Yes. Yeah. Okay. If I haven't mentioned it before, and it's a good movie, it's funny. The Monty Python crew are pretty funny with what they do. And that was around before the pre-offense cancel culture. They might not get away with it now because they were a bit tongue-in-cheek with everything. But onto the point, what they were doing was trying to preserve a zoo and mm-hmm. the zoo's funds were basically drying up at a rapid rate and mm-hmm. the administrators were going to move in and shut them down. But what they realised is if they made creatures sound dangerous, that would attract people in because that's what people wanted to see. Mm-hmm. So the curator of the zoo said that's what people want. They want us to see danger. They want to see people getting killed or possibly getting killed or Mm -hmm. animals that could chase you around and do awful things. So they did this and it did. It brought the crowds in. So they, long story short, they realised that that's what people want. They Mm -hmm. don't want to see boring animals just sitting in the sun and eating food. They want to see the potential danger and life-threatening situations that animals can bring on. I remember seeing that some time ago and then when you do look at the concept of social media and what it brings about and all the time that you and I have been involved in this, And even before modern Facebook and Instagram, when things were online bulletin boards, Mm -hmm. the best conversations were when trainers started to tear into each other. Mm. And you would start to see suddenly, you know, the other threads would barely connect with anybody. You know, Mm. you could actually see on the side how many people were viewing that thread. They'd have it in brackets and they'd have a number. Mm. The ones where it was controversial, the ones where people were saying or making outrageous claims, the brackets were quadruple the amount of numbers. Of course, yeah. And it's like the old saying is people attract people. Mm. When you go to a club or a cafe, my colleagues and I had to go down to Melbourne for a couple of meetings recently. We are in the Docklands and we're looking for a place to eat. We Googled a few places and we used a few apps to find and we went and looked for them but there's hardly any people in there. We decided not to go there because the place across the road had more people in it and therefore we thought, well, the food must be better. Mm. Now, we'll never know Mm. because we looked at a restaurant with the food that we liked. Everything was appealing to us, but we simply chose the one with more people in it. Yeah, I said to Dave, I went down there with Dave, I said, 
Isn't it funny that the one restaurant that we wanted with the food type that we actually wanted, we elected not to have that and to have something completely different because there was a bigger crowd of people at the other one. Yeah, yeah. So it was 10 at one place and there was 50 at the other. We opted for that one. The food was great over there. Don't get me wrong. We enjoyed what we had. Yeah. But we opted for a complete change of menu based on people being there. Mm. That's an interesting thing and that's something that I have noticed throughout my life is that people attract people. And, yes, controversial topics are the spicy ones. Horror movie right there on my TV, the Skyhawks, they said it all the way back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. That's why the news has been so successful. That's why it's been a thriving business. That's why America has so many news channels. Even in Australia we do now. You know, like we've got a multitude of news channels. Throughout COVID, I think the news stations must have thought this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Mm-hmm. It's brought viewers back out of social media and offline, off Netflix, they're actually watching our morning show to hear about the horrendous death stats and all Mm. those sort of things. And it's crazy that that's what inspires us is terrible shit that happens. Yeah. And you're right. Like when I went on Instagram the other day, there was a concealed video and it says this video has sensitive topic you may not wish to view. Of course you're going to have a look at that. Of course. Of course. Like immediately I'm thinking, get that fucking screen off. I've never scrolled past that. Never. I've never in my life scrolled past that. Never. I always click show me. Yeah. Even after I see it and I go, oh, that was I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't look at that. That was actually nasty shit. But then you're thinking, oh, well. Why didn't I follow the warning? It's like reading Larry Crone's comments on, I'm never drinking again. (laughs) (laughs) But so it's worth sort of us bringing up that the other factor to social media and the way that those algorithm works, and it's the reason why beyond the fact that we don't want to draw negative attention and the whole point of the show, you know, people maybe don't know or have forgotten, this is our second attempt at this podcast. It had a whole nother name and we binned the whole, everything that we did around it because we realized that it wasn't the ethos of what we wanted to do because we spoke in the early episodes negatively about the industry. Mm. I realized that's just not who we are. It's not what we want to put out. It's not what we want to be. And we, for the most part, we've broken our own rule every now and again, but that's why you have rules. So you know when you're breaking them, right? is we try not to name anybody negatively. And especially when there is like something negative going on in the social media space, we often sort of say, well, we saw this and we try not to name the person. Now there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the big ones is the most powerful thing you can do for somebody's social media following is open the app and search for their content. That is the greatest signal to the algorithm of that platform that what that person is showing is content that will keep people on the platform. And you see this in business settings where what they'll have people do is, you know, like if you've got a a company with a thousand employees, right. And you're trying to push a video to go viral. They have like within a Slack channel, all those thousand employees will be told, Hey, a video came out. Do not click the link go onto the platform, search the name of the company that you work for, watch the first video. And so then what that creates is the algorithm then looks at that and says, creates a lookalike audience of people who look like you. And if you work in the company that you are looking at the content of, then you are also like creating a lookalike audience of potential customers, right? You're likely working in a business that you could be a potential customer for because you understand it. So the algorithm then looks and says, Glenn opened his YouTube and searched Pat 
So people who have the same interests as you, like that is in the similar bucket of you, are likely to want to see Pat the moment they open Instagram or YouTube or whatever. So if you were to open YouTube up today, search my name and then watch two or three videos, immediately it would start saying, oh, he came on, something is happening off platform that brought him on platform to find out about Pat Stewart. So he then watched three videos and his watch time session, say you spent 30 minutes just watching my videos. Holy fuck, you consumed a lot of ads in that 30 minutes, whether you realized or not. And they made a lot of money out of you searching my name. Mm. What the algorithm then immediately does is then says, okay, who are people that look like Glenn? He's into motorbikes. He's into dog training. They've got a very detailed dossier on you and they go, okay, People who are also in the bucket of people that look like Glenn, let's show them some of Pat and see if we can get 30 minutes out of those fuckers as well, showing them what Pat Stewart does on on YouTube. So that's one of the reasons why we try to avoid saying people's names, especially sort of referencing them in a negative context, is because jumping, then if you hear us talk about it and then jumping onto the platform and searching what it is that you're looking for is feeding them to more people beyond just the person that searches for it. It feeds them to a lookalike audience of that person. And so you can accidentally make people go viral pretty easily by doing that. The actual definition of viral is more views than followers, right? So you don't have to have a million to be viral. If you've got one follower and you get two views, that's a viral video, right? Mm. That's just some of the things that are interesting and, and worth understanding. And I think Most people know most of that at some level, maybe like the level of detail that we've just gone into is a bit more than most people are aware of. But for the most part, we kind of understand that people have known from the beginning that the people you surround yourself with becomes a reflection of you and the type of content you consume starts to influence your behavior. It starts to influence the way that you'll act in the real world by consuming the type of content that is shown to you. And you do have a level of control over what is shown to you. You can train those algorithms into what to show you. Mm. But if you just let it take control of what is shown to you, you'll start to see things that could give you a warped sense of what the world is because it's not actually what is going on in the world. It's what the algorithm has decided will keep you on that platform for the longest period of time possible and keep you consuming as many ads as they can show to you in that period of time and make as much money off you as that, as they possibly can. Most people are aware at this stage that you're the product that social media is selling. You are the product that Facebook sells to its advertisers. Your eyeballs are the product. And what they want is you on that platform as much as possible. And the very best way to do that. I often say this to Casey whenever I talk to him about like he shows all these cool videos of him doing all these, you know, incredible things with lions and tigers and whatever, right? If he sends me a current video of that, I'll watch it all the way through. But if he sends me a 20-year-old video, I like kind of like look at it a little bit because I know he doesn't get killed in it because right? <laughs> I just spoke to him. But that's why we watch that kind of stuff. Mm. That's why tiger shows are impressive because you're standing there going, geez, I hope this guy gets fucking mauled by that tiger. How fun will that be to see, right? Now, you might not acknowledge that to yourself, right? You might not say those things out loud, but that's why we watch those dangerous things is because it could go wrong. If there's no risk of it going wrong, well, who the fuck cares, right? Like, why would you engage with that? You wouldn't. You're exactly right. And I remember one of the times that I went to Australia Zoo where Steve Irwin was actually up there feeding the crocodiles. And he said, get your cameras out right now. And he said, this is the time where if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen now. And he goes, and you may make the six o'clock news, but tonight. Yeah. He said, you might be able to sell them a video. 
and it's where the crocodile would come flying out of the water at him and run around and chase him around the enclosure. Yeah. So, yeah, those sort of things definitely attract. It also, an interesting thought was popping into my head while you were talking about this. It's no wonder that neurologists are struggling with the concept of free will Mm. when you listen to discussions about this and how we're being educated to view things that maybe we don't even really want to look at, but for some reason an algorithm has decided, well, this is in parallels to what you are looking at, so how about I show you some relatable content Mm. or something that we feel is relatable and you can look at this as well. Mm -hmm. And just by chance that triggers something in you because, as you said, this has built a dossier on who you are and what your potential interests are and you might not even know it. It Mm. might be awakening something that's dormant within you and suddenly you're pursuing something that you thought, I don't know why I'm looking at this, but suddenly I'm intrigued enough to want to do it. Totally. Now let me take off my works in social media And back hat, to the dog training. Put back on my dog training hat. Yep. Variable reward schedules, jackpots, yep. all that kind of stuff. We totally understand it. Yep. And when the reinforcer is views, likes, comments, that kind of stuff. And if you're an intelligent person, you know how to monetize those things. And if you've been, as we said, most of us in this space, most people who were dog training professionals pre-COVID and, had, and survived through COVID – did so by developing some sort of online presence where they could make money via their social media. Most of us did that. We had to in order to fucking survive. So we know that likes and views are a commodity. They're a reinforcer to us and they do represent a value to us. Now imagine you put up a video and for whatever reason, it develops controversy within the industry and it gets viewed and observed many, 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 many times and you get a jackpot reinforcer. If you're a person that posts a reel and it gets 200 views, and then for whatever reason you post a reel and it gets 6,000 views, yep. that is a jackpot of reinforcement. And what does reinforcement do? It increases the frequency and likelihood of the behavior. So immediately people then look back and go, shit, what happened there? What is it that I did exactly like a dog does, right? When you give it the reinforcer and it says, you mark, you click, and you give the food, dog goes, what did I do? How can I do more of that in order to get more of this? And do you think that you'll get the same engagement from the second time around? Not a fucking chance because Mm. people have seen what you already did. Doing it again isn't good enough. This is shaping. This is what happens with shaping. Yeah. So what happens when the dog does the same thing again and we're like, no, we need more from you now. Right? I want, schedule. I want more progression in the behavior. So mm. they do the same behavior and don't get reinforced. Yep. So what do they do? They go harder at the same behavior, right? They look for the progression. What's the next thing that I can do that is in line with what happened before that will lead to reinforcement? Mm. And that's exactly the cycle that some people get pushed into in that they start creating content that is creating controversy on purpose because they are chasing those views. They mm. are chasing those metrics. And we all do it, whether you're consciously aware of it or not, we're all doing that. And I think one of the really difficult things for us in the dog training space is to then go, all right, we have all collectively said, and we've said it many times on this show, we intend to police ourselves as much as possible. We want to sort of identify like what is good and bad training. And we want to call out the people who are doing bad training. Now, regardless of what labels we're going to wear, if any at all, we and others have said, Bad training should be called out when it happens. But the problem is when you're doing that online, you're stopping, you're commenting, you're leaving whatever 
emoji you want next to it, but that is increasing your watch time. That is increasing your time on the platform that will continue to be served to you, right? You will see more of the thing that you're unhappy about. And from your perception, it will be happening more, but it isn't necessarily happening more. It's just that you will be shown more of it Mm. as well as the person who's creating that level of content is now getting a spike in engagement and is more likely to continue creating that level of content. So we all get stuck in this cycle of, I don't want to see it, but I'm seeing it more. I can't believe this is happening. Look how much it's happening because it's fucking everywhere and you can overwhelm yourself, but it's not everywhere. It's just seems like it's everywhere. It's everywhere on your feed, Mm. right? And then as well, you can get stuck in the trap of like, well, this is what people want to see. This is what's paying my bills. And so long as you're at terms with what you're doing, and you are because you're making content about it, you'll continue to make more and more content. But it can get dangerous because you will that engagement won't last. And so you're going to have to start pushing, pushing and pushing. What is it I can do that will bring on more views? What can? How can I piss people off enough that I don't tip into the cancel culture but that I can continue to polarize. I can have people defend me. I can get arguments going in the comments and there's nothing better. And I'm fully aware of this. I've seen it happen on my posts. I've seen it happen on other people's posts. There's nothing better than an argument in your comments between someone who likes you and someone who hates you. Mm. That that for your social media engagement will put you through the roof. As we said in the green room, which is our kitchen, but mm-hmm. <laughs> right at the episode coming out, I remember we did a current affairs. This is 1996, seven, somewhere around that. One of the guys from Current Affairs came out wanted to show us doing biting dogs at Australian dog training. Mm-hmm. Well, there was mixed feelings about it because, again, he's one of those shock jock sort of journalists. He wants to come out and create lots of controversy. We said to Boyd at the time, don't do this. This is going to blow up on our face, having this guy come out to do an expose on us when we know that he's going to go to some other trainer and even possibly a welfare agency and they're going to say, oh, this is terrible, this is bullshit, these people shouldn't be doing this, they're rogues, they're cowboys, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Boyd sat me down and he said, mate, I've got to tell you something, even negative attention is still attention. Mm. And he said it will be good for us one way or another. He was absolutely right. Business tripled yeah. the next couple of months. We went from probably getting 10 people turning up at first timers to completely booking first timers out at 20 people. Mm. Exactly what we wanted. I mean, but it wasn't that. It was the lessons that were coming in, like the phone calls that were coming in because they did exactly what we claim they were going to do, even though it was relatively positive what they put to air. There was still the counter to that was these people are irresponsible. They shouldn't be doing this. Why is it offered to public? This is something that should be reserved to military police, blah, 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 blah. However, he was exactly right. Even negative attention is still attention. Mm -hmm. Going back further, what you were saying when we spoke about old mate before we finished the new year up, I've literally been sent probably about 20 to 30 videos of old mate saying controversial things I shared one with you the other day and I thought, I don't want to watch these. Yeah. I actually, I don't want to give that guy any airtime at all Yeah, because it's just polluted garbage airtime that's getting out there. Absolutely. That has no relevance to our industry. It's just somebody who is, it's alarming people. As you've pointed out, and I guess ignorance is bliss on my behalf because some of those things I do know and many of them I do not. So I got a little bit smarter in this episode, which is a good thing, but I've also realized that I have given people a reason to stay on air sometimes because I've shared it around and I've shown it to a lot of colleagues. They've done the same. Their friends have done the same. And it's like the old saying, bad news will go twice around the world before good news will get out of bed. Yeah. 
that is the issue. And I think on that person, yep. we said his name once already. Not on this. I don't think on this. No, episode. no. I've actually defended him quite robustly in arguments before when people want to talk about what he adds to the dog training space. And what I've said in the past is that he's actually been a, probably a fantastic resource to hundreds of thousands of people who are looking for help training their dog. Yep. And I think that we've spoken about this in the past as well. Like when you look at the big names on YouTube or Instagram, whatever, the people who really have millions of followers, they're providing, like no matter how they train, they are providing an overwhelming good to the public. And I think that whether they train the way that we like and whether we would do anything the same is kind of irrelevant because they're just tapping people who are like, oh, I need a bit of help with this. And they're a gateway at least to doing stuff with their dog rather than locking it in the yard or ignoring it and letting the problems fester. Mate, it's the old saying really, isn't it? The broken clock is right twice a day. So you're going to get some things right. And there is certainly an appeal. I think to parallel this again, I feel myself that it's kind of like the comparison I've done to politicians in the past where once upon a time, this was a good-hearted person who had the interests of their community at stake. They would sit down with people in the community and realize there are a lot of things going wrong here that need fixing. And then they go into politics and suddenly something happens, something changes. They are transformed from a person that went in with all these intentions to somebody who becomes somewhat of a spin doctor. Mm. They won't even answer a straight question anymore. When's the last time you saw a politician answer a direct question? Never. Never. And I see dog trainers doing the same sort of thing. I've seen the transformation before my very eyes of somebody who has talent, intention, drive, capability, ethics and ethos that you would think this person has really got what it takes to become tremendous. Mm. They could be the next great thing. But then they become somewhat of a politician. Mm. It's more about the coliseum of entertaining the masses and, and providing a show for people than it is about actually delivering good content anymore yeah. or doing the right thing. It's I'm drunk with this power now. My people are feeding me up and putting me on a pedestal. I've become this transformed person. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes they use that energy right. Often it's not though. Often yeah. they become alarmists and it's concerning me what I am seeing on social media. And you're right, I don't want to give them any more airtime than necessary. I don't want to spike their statistics. However, other people are. They're racing to them. What do you do to stop that? Well, in that one person in particular, I think, like I said, I've defended him many times and said that I think he does an overwhelming good for the public at large. And so long as he continues to make content designed for them, for the average Jono that just wants to teach his dog to do a cool trick, cool. Keep making that. That's amazing. That's not going to make your stats rise though. But that's the thing. Yeah. And so- Not, Not when you're drunk on that. Turning his attention in on the industry and starting telling how real dog trainers should actually train dogs- is a step too far, right? You have no business telling us how to do that. Continue to do what you're doing. It's fantastic. I support you fully. But trying to tell people who really train dogs, like with their hands, right, rather than just doing it online and saying what they do, like people who are actually trained and solve problems with real dogs in real time, you have no business telling us what's what, Mm. right? And trying to bring your social media metrics into telling us how to actually do things is you're not welcome to do so, mm. right? That's that's the issue in that space. I was thinking about it the other day, like they're complaining about training methods or whatever. 
and they start talking about like the studies that I've seen and whatever. It's like, tell me about them. Tell me the ones. Give me the titles. Mm. Send me the links because I'll, I'll read them and I'll see. But then I also thought, you know, like I could talk about to people like that. If you could ever engage in a conversation and be like, a couple months ago, I was down in a different state working for a police agency and I had within an hour had four different police dogs in my hands that have all radically different problems and need totally different approaches, right? And that's a big set of skills that you need to be able to draw on. When Absolutely. You get, when you get called to, they're paying a lot of money as mm. well. And they're like, hey, we got issues with these dogs and we want your advice on how to fix them. And we want to see results. If not fixed now, we want to know a path to how we do it. And then turning up and being like, oh, all I know is how to throw the Frisbee. That doesn't fucking cut it, right? <laughs> you need to be able to deliver tangible results to real people in real time Indeed. and assist them through actually training the dog, not just saying things to get likes, shares, and comments. Mm. Now, one thing I do want to say at this point for anybody still listening, like I'm aware of the irony of everything we're saying here, putting this out as like content to be consumed, complaining about people creating the other content yeah, to be consumed. Yeah. I'm fully aware of the irony, right? Like I get it. I'm 100% aware. To defend that point, because I believe there is a defense to it, to defend that point, I guess others could say this as well, but to defend that point is it does need to be spoken about. Of course. It, it doesn't need to be generated and created as an alarmist point that you've got to have some horrendous title up there that makes people think that somebody in the dog training community is going to launch a dirty bomb or something like that. Yeah. And when I read some of those comments, state of emergency and I'm thinking, holy shit, dude, like seriously, get it together. Yeah. That's worth exploring, right? When people throw around the word abuse quite a lot, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure how to define that. I really don't know. And I think that everybody, their definition, you know, if we're watching videos, say we're watching a video of somebody trained and we watch the person that walks in and throws cookies on the floor. And then we watch all the way up to the guy hit the dog in the head with the wiffle bat. And we watch everything in between. Most people are going to call abuse at different points. Mm. That's a really nuanced individual sort of thing. And I think we have to call out abuse when we see it. But as we discussed before, like defining what that is, is fucking hard, right? And really sort of, you know, determining that is and that is not. Because sometimes, you know, I look at really heavy handed training and I say, shit, that's pretty bad training, but I wouldn't put it into abuse. Like the dog's getting it. There's a better way that's pretty shitty but in actual fact, it's actually very good use of that tool in that moment. You're very skilled at it. You're a very good trainer, but like, that's definitely not what I would do. And, mm. and I could say that's shit training. There's a better way. You're maybe you're a shit person, but it's not abuse. But then I could look at somebody else less skilled attempting to do the same thing and go, fuck, that's abuse, man. Cause you're not doing it right. Mm. Right. So like, it's a very difficult thing to define. I guess it kind of falls within your beliefs, your ethics, your knowledge, your skill set. That's right. So mm. I think that it's fair to say that everybody, for the most part, we can look at something at the extremes. We can say, oh, that's abuse. Mm. But we all put up our hand at different levels when we're approaching that marker. And I think at the other end, it happens as well. Like I see some of the, like when we're talking sort of heavy handed yank and crank style training, but I think also some of the force free stuff is abusive as well. I think there's sometimes I look at that and I look at the level of stress that people are putting dogs through unnecessarily and prolonging that level of stress for durations the, where the prolonging part, really, that's where I. Yeah. Yeah. And so most people who are skilled would look at that and go, hey, that's unnecessary. Like you're putting that dog in a situation for a period of time like that it doesn't need to be in. But then the nuance creeps in on that and it's like, okay, well, the decision might be to manage that for the remainder of its life. 
And then some people say, well, I find that abusive because that could be fixed quite easily. Mm. With 10 minutes of discomfort from that dog, that dog could lead a completely different life from the life that he's going to live without that 10 minutes of discomfort. He's going to simmer at a lower level discomfort. So that's a very difficult thing to define again. So at both ends, everybody, like for the most part, we could agree on the extremes, but as we work our way in, imagine like as the further we get from the margins, it becomes more and more gray and it like, you know, what you say and what you don't. But as we've sort of discussed is rallying the troops on social media in support of what you think is abuse is unlikely to stop that abuse. In fact, as we've just sort of spent, you know, the better part of over half an hour explaining, if you truly think it's abuse, rallying the troops and feeding likes, shares, views, whatever against it is actually likely to reinforce that behavior to the person doing it. Mm. So I think I've been ruminating on this and I like, I put this on social media today and again, I'm fucking aware of the irony in this, but I say, (laughs) uh, you know, how do we address the problem in the training industry without controversy becoming currency? There's a lot of feedback on this and there's a lot of really good comments and I'm reading them all. And and even after we're done discussing this, I think they'll continue to come in, but I've kind of aggregated my own opinion on this from drawing from others. Cause it's a genuine question. I was like, you know, how do we do that? Because I know all these things about social media and I know all these things about behavior. And most of us, now, you know, the things that I knew about social media, you probably knew most of them anyway. Mm. And if you listen to this show, you probably know the same shit about behavior as well. Right. Because like most of us understand this stuff. If you think something's abusive, call the cops, man. That's a good point. You're not the fucking social media police. And getting the cancel culture, getting everybody together and going after someone is unlikely to do what you think it's going to do. Hey, wait. How dare you, sir? (laughs) There was a Netflix show called Don't Fuck With Cats and those social justice warriors fixed that guy. Yeah, but they did. But they they did the fucking work. Yeah. What they didn't do was comment like, so that actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that actually feeds exactly into what I'm talking about is there were a bunch of people like, oh no, the man killed a cat. And there were four people that were like, let's get that fucker. And yep. they did the work to actually fucking hunt him down too late before he killed a person, but they fucking found they him. him. Caught. Yeah, yeah, they got him. Yeah. This is the thing. Like if you feel so strongly enough that what somebody is doing is abuse Call the fucking authorities about that because mm. those those authorities exist somewhere all around the world. If you truly feel that strongly about it, fucking do that. Yep. If it's not that, then just scroll on by. So that's my answer to this. It's not the right answer. That's not the gospel. That's just how I feel. And I've read a lot of comments and I've been ruminating on this sort of throughout the day because there's a lot going on. And, and I'm sure when people listen to this, like, don't apply this to any particular thing that you're seeing because we're not talking about anything in particular. We're talking very broadly, but taking in all the current events. Mm. I think if you see something online and you don't like it, fucking scroll past it as fast as you can and you won't see any more of it. That won't feed the algorithm and tell the algorithm that you like it. It won't count as a view. You have to watch more than three seconds depending on the platform before it counts as a view. And block and delete. Yeah, just like I don't want to see that in my life. And then, hey, guess what? It will never be in your life again. Especially if you see someone doing something online that doesn't align with you, you're able to never see anything they do ever again. You're able to block that, right, and never have it come up in your life ever again. But if you feel so strongly about what they're doing and what they're saying as being abuse, and there are instances when this is the fucking case, then you send that content and you save it and do whatever and you send it to the authorities of the of in that area and let them decide. Let yep. them actually charge that person with abuse. And I think that you might be, unfortunately, some people might be surprised to find out what they're thinking is abuse is actually not. Funny you saying this. 
it aligns with something that we had a conversation with a workplace HR investigator. We're growing, no secret. Our company is getting bigger and bigger in size as we're going along. The more people that come on board, the more problems becomes a small family business into a large monopoly all of a sudden. You've got lots of different personalities coming on board. One of the interesting things that we found from having a conversation with this particular person, especially around the term bullying, it's a very overused and very misunderstood phrase. And in fact, many of the people who use the claim bullying are actually bullies themselves. Oh, fully. Incredibly, they don't understand it until somebody actually sits down and has industry knowledge to be able to piece it together and say to them, hey, my friend, you have made a claim on bullying against your colleague. However, I need to outline to you some of the repertoires of your behavior that you need to analyze what you've said and done and how you have disenfranchised this person and how you have alienated them in conversations and so forth, which is actually a form of bullying. For example, it'd be like somebody in law enforcement who decides, well, I'm going to use excessive force against a criminal and suddenly finds themselves a criminal themselves. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, those avenues exist and people are very vague about it. They're very unaware of the fact that they actually crossed a line in behaving a certain way themselves. Mm. We kind of have to talk now about what do you do? Because it's one thing to point out the problems, but what do you do? So for me, and I'm no fucking glimmering beacon of anything, but this is what I do. I think that it's like for me when I, I make social media content, it's a big part of my income. It's a big part of my life. It's a big part of my job and for myself now, right? Like I formerly was doing that for other people. I'm doing it for myself. I'm not interested in like giant metrics. My target audience is people who, you know, you're listening to this, you're it, right? It's the people who are like really into dog training. I train mostly other dog trainers and, and people who are quite into it, enthusiasts at the least, right? I don't have or want an enormous audience. I like what I have. But for me, I think that I'm always really careful when the camera starts rolling, you have to be aware that you are probably not practicing your skill anymore. You are performing it. Mm. And that's why I kind of come back and forth on making content of me actually training dogs because I get into this rhythm of like really enjoying training and doing all these good things with dogs and enjoying it, doing it. But then it gets to the point where I sort of am like, well, I would like to make a reel showing this. And so I need the dog to be facing this particular way and I need for the reinforcer to be in this way and I'm thinking about vertical content and so I need it all to happen in a straight line. You know, these sorts of things that are just part of the job. You have to think about how am I going to turn this into social media content because mm. we have to do that to maintain a business. Yep. And at some point your practice becomes a performance. That's what I usually try to be very aware of and then I can feel that happening and make conscious decisions for it to not interrupt the training. That's one of the reasons why mostly I don't really film me training client dogs, especially because a lot of my client dogs are like, I, I really can't, right? They're police and military type dogs and that sort of thing. But I tend to only ever film dogs that are my own or like that I'm 100% in the control of because like while someone is paying me to work their dog, I am doing the practice of training the dog not the performance of training the dog when the camera is rolling. And I, I think just even knowing that those are two separate things can be really helpful mm. um, for me anyway. Another thing that's worth understanding about sort of social media and the controversy that can happen within it and the types of posts that we see 
is I think sometimes for us in the dog training space, we can sometimes forget that simultaneously conflicting pieces of information can both be correct. Mm -hmm. Things that you don't want to be true as well as things that you do want to be true can simultaneously be correct at the same time. Mm. And you have to rationalize that. You have to come to terms with the fact that the world is complex. Things don't happen in a straight line very often. There's a lot of nuance to understanding how and why things work Mm. and you can be right. And the other person can be right whilst you both hold very different opinions. Mm. I remind myself of that regularly. A cool saying I heard a little while ago is that the flexible will prevail. And so I think when I'm looking and I'm engaging and I'm I'm posting all the sorts of things that happen within our space in the community of social media, I try always to remember that the flexible will prevail. And the last piece of advice that I try and keep for myself is that I try to work through the difficult times and sit down and think hard before I act when my ethics and my goals are in conflict with one another. And I think that can happen to all of us at certain points in time, right? Where what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it are incongruent. Mm. And you have to sit back and sort of have a think about what's more important to me in this moment. Are putting my feelings out more important than everything that we've just discussed before about metrics and all that kind of stuff versus like the type of content that I want to put out, the goals that I have for my business, achieving those goals, is that more or less important to me than achieving them in the way that I feel good about achieving them? And maybe you realize like I can't get to those goals. They're unrealistic goals because to do so would be incongruent. To do so would be incongruent with your own ethics Mm. and your goals are going to feel pretty empty when you achieve them if you had to go against your own ethics on the way to get there. So that's my like four little pieces of advice for moving forward with social media. Take it or leave it, whatever. Yeah, well, that's interesting forethought for sure. There's a lot to take away from that. (laughs) I think just remembering, we've said it heaps of times, you can just scroll past stuff you don't like. You don't have to get involved in it. That's exactly right. And there's plenty of content that I've found myself feeling an emotion towards it and usually a negative emotion. I think, what am I looking at for? Yeah. I can just look at something else. I can choose differently. I can choose to feel negative about this or I can choose to look at something that would brighten my day up or educate me or be a better impression on me overall. Mm-hmm. It's the same the other day. I was tired. It was late at night. I need to get up early for a meeting in the morning. I was sitting there watching something and it was a negative show. Like the show was actually getting quite negative. And I felt myself feeling negative because of it. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm trying to go to sleep here and I'm watching a show that's actually making me feel pretty shitty and angry and negative. And therefore I could feel my heart rate went up. I could feel a bit of a kick of adrenaline. And suddenly I went from being weary into feeling aroused Mm -hmm. in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And I thought I'm going to be up for extra time now because I've put myself into a state which I didn't actually need to be in. Whereas if I went to bed in a positive thoughts, you know, read a book or left on a fulfilling moment, I would have slept peacefully. I would have got more sleep. I looked at my whoop app in the morning. Yep. Sure enough. My, my stats were down. I was in the red instead of in the green. Anyone who's got a whoop band, they'll know what that all means. Mm -hmm. And you can feel things about yourself that you know that you can actually have an impact in changing. Yeah. You can choose differently. You can improve your life. Listening to you talking about this before, I feel that when people 
get mixed up between choosing quality over quantity, you need to realign your ethics. Is it really important to have more or is it more important to have better? Mm. That's something that needs to sit with you personally. Like you might turn away and say, get fucked, idiot. I want more money and I'm prepared to do it at any cost. Well, you have to live with that at the end of the day. You have to be comfortable living in the train wreck that you created around your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's more about quality, mate, I've had my chance to sell my soul. I've had my chance to join the other gang and to, to make more money and to have more privilege by joining the other side. But I can't do it. Mm. When it doesn't sit well with me ethically, when I know that it's deep in my heart and soul, that it's just not right, it's just not going to do it. I'm not prepared to take the gains that way. Yeah. Mate, it's exactly the same thing. I was thinking about this the other day. We closed last year topic off talking about topics around this. If I don't like you and you and I aren't friends, I won't take your money no matter what. You can't buy that piece of me. I will not take it from you. You and I are done. That means I'm not for sale to you anymore as well. And I've had that opportunity plenty of times and I've just said no fucking way. I've closed the book to you. We're done. Your money's done. That to me is important. I can't fucking sit in bed and I can't feel good as a human being knowing that I sold myself to somebody that I don't have good feelings and thoughts about. Mm. That doesn't sit well. That's damaging to me as a person. Mm. I can't do it. I never have been able to do it. And that's hurt me financially before. That's hurt me, but I cannot do it. Yeah, but, you know, like that speaks to the regard in which you hold your work because I think beyond just your own ethics, but it also means that you can't deliver as good a product as you know that you need to to a person that you don't want to, Mm. right? We've been a bit preachy and certainly like I definitely as we wind up want to sort of explain. It's not really preachy because I'm not telling other people that they should do it. I'm just no, telling what, no, I, what I feel in myself. No, exactly. Like That's if, I, if I got online and, and delivered a sermon and said, you have to do this, then I'm preaching to them. Yeah. All well, I'm telling is how I feel about a certain situation. Yeah. Be it upon you to do what, what makes you feel good. Let me rephrase. I have been sort of preaching how I think that people should act online and I think I just want to point out- Do you, you know, really think we, that you did that though? Well, I want to point out before we kind of wrap up that we're all a work in progress. I'm yeah. aware of the mistakes that all these things I'm pointing out are the mistakes that I have made many times. Name and, one time on this entire show where we've ever told people we're perfect and role models. No, and we're just doing- Name I'm, one time. I'm just doing it again, right? Yeah. Like I've just said, so, you know, we're all a work in progress. And I think one of the things that I find when I do fall into one of these traps is when you, when you understand them, you can get out of them better. Yeah, I think that's one of the main things like that I, I constantly am thankful for. And I see it like when I see it happen in dog training with, sorry, with dog trainers, I'm always really impressed and really happy. And when I catch myself and I'm able to do it, I'm proud of myself when I do it. It's like, your brain can play traps on you, man. And we do this on purpose to dogs. We we really understand behavioral science. We know how to develop addictions. We know how to sort of build frustration. We know how to do these sorts of things and we do it on purpose. And I think that knowing how to do that gives you the skill set to identify when you're accidentally doing it to yourself mm. and take that step away. And we discussed it the other day, you know, like be the observer of your thoughts, be that person rather than the thinker of your thoughts. And when you find yourself getting in a trap, observe that and go like, oh, this is me chasing a dopamine hit or this is me with barrier frustration got the rage system in full effect. I need to find a way to turn that off and get back into seeking, you know, like these are the things that we do on purpose to other dogs. And we're now that we have those tools, we can take a step back Mm. and, and identifying when you fall in that trap, because 
we all do it. Everybody's a work in progress. You know, nobody's perfect. The more often you can catch yourself and take that step backwards, the happier and better life will be. Mm, That's an interesting point. I like everything that you just said there. Words to live by. I don't know whether it was Rogan or somebody else, but there was a guy talking about- How dare you bring up Joe Rogan on the show? I know. (laughs) We got in trouble on someone Didn't you get called a white supremacist? Yeah, for liking Joe Rogan. Ridiculous. Especially when some of the people are so profoundly intelligent that go on that show. They're just brilliant. They're world changers. It's Daddy Joe. Yeah, Daddy Joe. Wasn't Elon Daddy Elon? (laughs) (laughs) I've got lots of daddies. Yeah. It was either Rogan or something else. I can't remember. It could have been a Jordan Peterson interview. Oh, how dare you, sir? I know. Another one. <laughs> another one. Just proves the point, doesn't it? Just another nail in the coffin. I kicked myself again for not actually paying attention to the person's name because I liked it, but it was running through a reel. And the professor or the person talking about cells in our body was making a point of saying every single cell within your body is alive. And it is paying attention to what you're saying and how you're behaving. And you will shape and create the person that you are physically. So you will transform yourself physically. You'll become more repulsive or more attractive to people on what you're telling those cells on a regular basis. I found that interesting. And there's evidence to support that. This is not just a wild theory. He said there are people who have talk themselves down and he said, and suddenly they start looking older and more haggard where mm. people who are talking themselves up and practicing a lot of these things, eating better, looking after themselves, managing themselves regularly. And he said, that person, you look at them, a before and after of them where they did look haggard before have now become transformed. Mm. They're brighter. Their eyes are wider. They're smiling more. Their skin is clearer. They look healthy. Their body is transformed. They look physically better all the time. Manifestations that we're talking about in who you choose to become as a person your cells are literally constructing your brain. The neuroplasticity in your brain is saying, I believe this now. You've told me enough times. You're repeating this on a regular basis. It's like Narell says, you are what you eat. You become what you think too. Oh, yeah. These are things that I think as we're trying to transform ourselves and become better, forget dog training. Let's just talk about as a human being or include dog training if you like. But if you want to be better at that, when you're staring back at the person you see in the mirror, what you choose to say to yourself, the unkind words or the kind words are who you actually become. But I also think that if you're talking into a camera as well and you're starting to say mean-spirited, hard and nasty things and unkind things on a regular basis, you start believing that. You you are becoming the very monster that you're trying to control or trying to kill off. I find that quite profound in those statements as well. But Again, I find those are words to live by. I, I have found that when I am captive to the cynicisms that I'm creating, I become a part of that monster. I can feel the stirrings and the anger and the rage that are burning around inside me. We've talked about that monologue, that narrative that comes, that devil that sits on your shoulder. I can hear that voice very loud. You know, it's almost like another person in the room with me some nights having a conversation. It's not madness. We all have it. It's part of our psychology. It's part of our ego. It's part of the structure that we're all born with. Some people struggle turning that voice off. They cannot differentiate themselves between who they feel they are and the person that is echoing with inside their head. And it becomes dangerously loud when you allow it, when you give it the control over you that can consume you and turn you into something that you didn't want to become in the first place. Mm, True that. 
something that I found interesting and something concerning to me as well when you were talking about algorithms and how they repeat and continue to target you. Are you familiar? You would be familiar with the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, wouldn't you? No, I don't know what that is. The Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, and he is the person who came up with the structure and the system around how we retain knowledge. Effectively, within 24 hours of you consuming knowledge, if you don't look at it ever again, within 24 hours, you'll forget 50% of it. Yeah. Okay. By the time a week has passed, you have forgotten 90% of what you learned if you do not choose to re-look at what you're doing. So if you read something and put it down and a week later you haven't touched that journal or that book again, you'll forget 90% of it straight away. Mm. It's called the Ebbinghaus Forgetting Curve. Look okay. it up online. It's very, very interesting on I'm how- I'm going to write it down in my journal right in your now. My bullet, little book here, my little bullet journal. Your bullet journal yeah. that you've just been giving me an education on. Yep. The Ebbinghaus Forgetting Curve, it's called. It's very interesting. It's also remarkably distressing how much information we elect to lose on a regular basis because we never look at it again. This is why- when you're studying for something, you're encouraged to reevaluate the study, like yeah, yeah. read it, write it, speak it out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, they often say that if you're going to lecture something, you should read it like you're going to teach it. Mm. There's reasons for that. There's reasons why when I'm reading things to people, I've said this in the past, students have said to me before, why are you reading what is written on the screen to me? And I said, because I need you to hear it in multiple facets. Mm. I need you to hear it from my lips And I need you to read it up on the screen because we're going to talk about a lot of times because you are going to say this verbatim to me by the end of the course. Mm. So what I'm saying to you, you need to become me, okay, because I'm I'm going to become you. I will be your student and you will become my teacher. I will sit there and you will teach me and I will be the student asking you questions. Mm. So you need to know this. You need to hear it from multiple sources. You need to read it again and again. Here is the book. Here is the online content. Here is it on screen. Here is it me saying it. Here is us doing it physically. You know, it's coming at multiple aspects. My alarm for that is algorithms aren't letting us forget. Mm. They're prompting us to remember because I think that they are aware of things like the forgetting curve and they think, well, in order for you not to forget about this, I'll keep showing it to you. Mm. I'll keep reminding you it's there. So you don't have the opportunity to forget about it anymore and move past it you're being reminded of it on a regular basis. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. It's another way to look at it. It's an interesting take on it. Yeah. It's no secret I'm terrified of the machines. And I've talked about it plenty of times. If you knew what I knew about military technology, if it decided it was going to kill you, like the most unrealistic thing about the Terminator movies is not that the Terminators like became self-aware and whatever. It's that the humans being stood any chance against them. That's the most unrealistic thing. The other thing on that. Just to add flavor to that, Elon Musk made a point. He said AI wouldn't eliminate the human race like we hate you and we want to get rid of you. He said it's like um, human beings getting rid of an ant nest because it's in the way or it's causing yeah, a problem. Exactly. And he said, and that's pretty much the way it will think about it yeah. is this just needs to be removed because it's causing a problem to the evolution of what needs to be done in progress. Yeah. So I think the big risk, I mean, we're so far off topic, but I think <laughs> the big risk uh, of that chat GPT and what, like, as, as I understand it, is it's still, it, it can't produce anything new. It's just sourcing things off the, off the internet that it can read fast and it can, you know, create content in that way. I think everybody did those, you know, almost everybody did those AI avatar sort of photos and whatever, Yeah, which I think is interesting. I saw some pushback against that 
saying that really it's just plagiarism, right? Because like it's not creating art, it's just copying other artists and like putting your face onto a different artwork that already exists. Yep. And so some of the people whose styles had been ripped off were like, this fucking thing is creating artworks that take me weeks and I charge thousands for is doing it in seconds and it didn't create that shit. It's just ripping off what I can do. And like yep. I created it, it's just recreating it. So that's sort of interesting. But I think the real risk with that chat GPT is not that it could do something, it's that it could convince someone to do something. It would, at the moment, like it would still be a human being that would have to do something that would make that dangerous. But if someone was convinced, which it could convince you that it was – if you wanted to think that it had feelings, like was, you know, like emotional, if you asked it the right questions, it could make you think that. There's an older movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Girl, it's incredible. It's yes. one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Yeah, watch it. But watch. it's one of the most terrifying movies, at he, least in that they don't kill everyone, at least they ascend. Yeah, um, but he he gets into a relationship with a AI. That yeah, it's he, incredible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And I mm. gave it no love. I watched it on a plane. It was one of those like – Oh, there's nothing else. I'll watch this stupid movie. Yep. And then halfway through it, I was like, oh my God. I was like freaking out. Yep. And then on the same plane, I watched that Ex Machina. I was fucking terrified. Like, I don't know why I did this to myself. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. We should wrap it up before we talk too much bullshit. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's it. Yeah. It's another episode of Counter Paradigm, first one of the year. Yep. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. Yeah. Love you. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is listen to it twice. <laughs> listen to it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Leave a fucking outrageous comment. Make other people fucking read it. Share it on your social media platforms. Or just ben. make sure you play the show from start to finish. Yeah. Or share it and then go, can't believe these fucking dickheads said that. And don't don't give any other context. I can't believe they said that shit at these time intervals. Do, <laughs> do you know what's funny? A funny, funny comment that got made to me the other day, and it was an admission by somebody. They said, when Pat says, oh, that's it, they said, I just stopped the show there because I just thought it was just you guys doing the wind-up and doing all the sales, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they said, I did a start to finish because I caught up and then I started re-listening, and they said, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys were absolutely dropping some pearls in those last <laughs> couple of minutes, which we didn't actually know about. Because yeah, they're, they're for just, the OGs. They're for the people that stick around. That's right. Yep. Fuck you, if you don't dessert. stick around, you don't get that's to hear it. Yep, that's dessert. Yeah. It's the ride or dies. You're the, you're the ones that get it all the way to the end. But while we are doing the wrap-up, we do need to say that we do need your Patreon support. Yeah, we do. I know I did a little bit of a call-out before it the other day, but we got gutted by the Australian government. Like, they literally went along and said, oh, you're making money off. So what happened was we haven't paid our tax in five years. Yeah. <laughs> so we just been buying the gear that we needed and then we're like, oh, fuck, have you been paying the tax, Glenn? No. And then it was like, oh, shit, we've been buying the gear that we need and not putting away the tax. Even money. our accounting fee for our accountants, which I've got to pay, is over $5,500. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, so. Depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean. And I mean, we like, haven't even paid ourselves a wage. Like, no. There's no. <laughs> we've got some cool gear. we got we got we've gear. we got gear. Yeah, but it's not like there was a slush fund that we could just keep giving ourselves <laughs> money. <laughs> fucking idiots for two men that run businesses i know i think that this is the issue with partnerships of this kind is that both of us are like ah you've probably got you you're probably checking that <laughs> <laughs> it's very you're all, true you're very competent yeah, at what you do true. you're probably all over yeah. it yeah and then five years later it's like well, you paying the tax right yeah uh, nope anyway all right hey that's it yeah give some money on patreon whatever if, yeah. if you can that'd be great if not that's right. Just listen to the show. Yep. Still someone else's Patreon login. Still the content. Go for it. Yeah. You, you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Three bucks a month in there. It's like a 
What, what do they say? Buy me a coffee. Not even a coffee. You can't get coffee for three bucks. We, like I said, okay. if we've got nearly 10,000 people in our discussion group, thereabouts, there might be more. I don't know. I haven't looked at the statistics there for a while either. But if every person in that group came on and just put a dollar in, that would be transformative. Tax bill. It'd, it'd be transformative. It'd change our landscape. Yeah. I know I've said that last time, but it really would. It's an unfortunate thing when you start setting these things up and you kind of need it because the bills start coming in and you think, But oh, even if you don't, we love you. Just yeah, not as much as the people that, that do. They love their dollar more. in. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. Not really. All right. Hey, if you want to get in contact with us, jump in the discussion group. Mm. All the things that we said don't do, don't do those in our group. Be nice. Be courteous in there. We try but really they hard. they are though, right? Yeah, everyone does a good job in there. Really yeah. proud of everyone. Like for nearly 10,000 people and some of the feedback we get on that it is a place where people feel safe to ask and answer questions, which is- So like, it should be. Have a lot of pride in That's that. That's what we should do is be allowed to have yeah. constructive dialogue, even if it is a little uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Quick thing on that. Somebody asked me a question the other day. They said, have you noticed how angry people are lately? Like how short tempered they are and how quick to react they are. If you've lived longer than let's say 30 years, you would definitely have noticed the change in humanity. I feel that it's largely because of what just happened to us through COVID. That was really frustrating. Mm -hmm. And it's something that nobody has experienced in that short span of life. Certainly people in the early times did. But one thing that I feel about it is that people feel so fucking restricted on what they're allowed to say now, and that makes me angry. Mm. That makes me angry about how much control that other people are saying, you are not allowed to say this and you're not allowed to think this or you're not allowed to feel that. Well, fucking how dare you? I mean, honestly, Mm. that is a travesty on the human race that there are so many control mechanisms on how to think what to say and how to feel. No wonder people feel so fucking miserable because even the small percentage of people who like it, there's an overwhelming percentage of people that don't but mm. are stuck in the same yoke that everybody else is, and it's fucking terrible. Mm. I'll wrap this up before George Orwell turns up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in contact with us, choose an email. We're info at the canineparadigm.com. Goodbye. <laughs>